This episode of Uncontrolled Airspace is made possible by the support of our generous listeners. For over seven years, we've been thrilled to enjoy the financial support and useful feedback of our awesome listeners. For information on how you can join the conversation in our forums, put something in the UCAP tip jar, or even become an underwriter of a UCAP episode, visit the UCAP homepage at uncontrolledairspace.com. Clear. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> when, when Dave and I were, when I was visiting Dave, the, Jeb, I think this was after you left town. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was visiting Dave, um, the, uh, what was it? Oh, I know what it was. Dave was wearing a, uh, a T, was a T6 hat, all right? And, and I, I don't know, and I think that combined with I was reading something or something, and it got me to wondering, and I asked Dave this at the time, whether or not, and Jeb, I, I'll be interested to hear your answer. Are there any, in the U.S. military inventory, in the United States military inventory, are there any combat propeller-driven aircraft? In the U.S. inventory. Yeah, in the now, U.S. military, military uh, combat aircraft, not trainers. Not trainers, right, combat aircraft, right? And, and there is a weird exception, but... Can you think of one, Jeb? Because we could. I certainly can. I certainly can. You can. Sure. What is it? Several, several of them actually. Well, okay. What drones? Yeah, the drones were the exception that we. But let's put the drones aside for a second. Um, You know, our. our, You mean manned? Yes. Combat aircraft. Onboard pilot. Driven by propellers. Driven by propellers. And we couldn't think of any. All right. the, the can, just when you think it. you've answered that question, something changes. Well, the T six Texan too. Well, 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 I can, I can, I can. What, what, what? The uh, uh, the Navy um, airborne warning and attack, uh, the AWAC. Um, the well, Navy uh, AWAC airplane is a turboprop. Okay, and you've got to consider that to be a combat airplane. I, I guess actually that just made me think of another exam- another exception. Um, I don't know if they still operate the Spectre gunships. Do they? Um, I don't believe yes, so. Yes, they do. In, in C-130, do they? the, the C-130. The C-130 oh, was the major right. guns right. on that's one right. side. So there's it's, a, there's a proposal. They don't operate DC-3s for that role, but they do operate C-130s for that role. Yeah, I think so. They still call them Spectre gunships? I think that's I, spooky. You know, it's too bad we don't have it I'm not on their list for name changes like that, so... <sighs> Spectre is as good as anything right now. Yeah. I, call, I always just called it uh, Puff the Magic Dragon. Uh, Google search for Spectre gunship brings up the Lockheed AC-130. Shazam. A heavily armed, ground-attacked aircraft variant of the C-130 Hercules transport plane. It's got a great picture, shooting off all of its flares and, and whatnot. So, uh, well, the, it, the reason this story came back to me was, first of all, Dave, Dave and I were talking about it, but also um, I got home to discover this story in the news um, that uh, in support of our, uh, um, you know, the, acti- the all the nastiness that's going on over in the, uh, in the uh, eastern Mediterranean, um, the United States is going to be, be providing armed Cessnas, uh, apparently, a, an armed version of the caravan is being provided to uh, Lebanon, according to this story. This is an abweb.com story. Uh, the U.S. has pledged to supply an armed Cessna and other support aircraft to help Lebanon counter the threat from ISIL extremists. So, it's I, I you know so it goes just goes to show you that they have such a thing sort of you know on the shelf, if you will, right? I don't know. Have you ever heard of an armed, uh, you know, like a, apparently it's a, it's a, a military caravan 
with hard points on the wings so they can mount, among other things, rockets and whatever. Yeah, it's actually pretty... It's it's modified somewhat more elaborately than that with uh, imaging capability, targeting stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, identification friend or foe, uh, they'll be able to put rocket launchers on it. Uh, that's really the easiest thing to adopt to an airframe like this is uh, rockets because the recoil all goes into thrust, unlike a machine gun or a cannon uh, like the Spookies carry. Right. Uh, You're saying as far as the airplane's concerned, it's recoil less. Pretty much, yeah. And this is going to have a turret on it uh, for the sensor uh, uh, sensor uh, array, uh, and uh, it uses the big eight hundred and sixty seven horsepower version of the uh, PT six, so that it can lift more than ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The caravan's always been a favorite of mine. I, I like the caravan. I, I've never flown one, of course, but. Uh, um, I, I got up close and personal with one of those. Yeah, in uh, the re- air? Re- no, on the ground recently. That's a big freaking airplane. It is a big airplane, and it's way it's, high up off the ground. Yeah. It, it taxiing one is really a weird thing because it, it, it's like coming out of a Volkswagen Rabbit and then getting into a Rolls Royce that's eight feet off the ground. Yeah, well, I know a little uh, bit about that. All, Having- all that hood kind of blocks your forward view yeah having having just transitioned from a nissan maxima to a ford f-150 pickup truck i'm a little bit higher off the ground um the uh, the other little thing here's a bit of trivia about the cessna caravan um the uh the ucap logo the aircraft in the ucap logo was modeled after a, a cessna caravan so we've modeled our logo after a warplane yes well apparently who knew right but uh well, yeah. there's 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 a really fundamental advantage to picking a caravan platform for this. What's that? It, pilot training. Uh huh. It flies like a heavy, fast skyhawk. Uh huh. That's what I've heard. It flies real easily. Is what I've sky sky lane is what I've heard. But yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, it was more like a one seventy two, uh, particularly on approach speed. Now that was the standard, not the grand. The grand. Uh, had a little more mass to it and felt a little more like a 182, but really light on the controls. Uh, flew it out using only uh, about a thousand feet of runway at the old Benton Air Park with uh, three quarters fuel and three people on board mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on a nice warm July day in Kansas. Yeah. And then the other thing that would be good in a in a combat situation is that uh, it's apparently a pretty decent bush plane too. Um, they, uh, if you watch the uh, show, actually it's been can- it's it's no longer being produced, but uh, Flying Wild Alaska, um, one of the aircraft that they flew regularly in that show up in Alaska was. Uh, tell, tell me, tell me again how these aircraft are going to be used. Is is uh, are American pilots going to fly these things, or are they, we we just giving them to Lebanon? I believe we're giving them to Lebanon. I don't yeah. see. All I know is what I'm reading in this Avweb story, uh, and it just talks about giving me the airplanes. I don't see anything about well, us flying them. Well, there was a DOD release on this last week, too, yeah. uh, and uh, it's basically part of the package of support that we're providing against the, what is it, 
ISIS or ISIL or ISIS uh, whatever or ISIL, they call it right, today, uh, you know, it's changing pretty regularly. But uh, the yeah. uh, the latest iteration of a terrorist threat. Uh, so an armed Cessna that's a single, doesn't require complex training, fixed gear, simple systems, and easy to learn to fly. Mm-hmm. And you put some uh, weapons capability on it, the image, imaging technology like infrared. You put a couple of fire control stations in it, add a little bit to the fuel. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Combat aircraft. I know. And the fact that it's the UCAP logo airplane just puts it right over the top. There we go. You got, it's the whole package right there. And as far as bush planes, they're very popular in Canada. They replace a lot of old beavers and otters. Uh, they're very popular in Africa on floats, uh, in the Arctic on skis. Uh, they pretty much operate everywhere that you can think of in the bush environment and do it pretty well because that is a fault-tolerant airframe. Yeah, yeah, cool. Hey, um, on that note, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. You can't, you can't buy a Segway to get. I know, really. I was working for one here. I thought I had it, but then we kept going, and so I, I just got to like you. Sometimes you just got to make these things happen. <laughs> I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, I'm coming to you this afternoon from. Uh, I, I'm, I'm now. I'm going to try and populate this. Is, this is from Papa Papa. I'm coming to you from Papa Papa, New Hampshire, right? And uh, he's in Epping, Epping. You have to be careful with that. How's that? Just, I'm just saying. Okay, Papa Papa. I, and, I don't uh, have to explain everything. Yeah. Okay. All right. It'll come. It'll become clear to me later on. Usually, when I listen to the episode later on, I get all the jokes. Uh, I'm here this afternoon talking to my uh, two good friends, uh, and uh, and they are out there in their respective hometowns. Uh, one of those voices is Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. Hi, Jack. I had to say that. I had to say it like that. Yeah, well, you got to get some energy. You know, it's radio. You know, you can't just, you know, rely on your your pretty face on the screen. You know, you got to like put some. You got to put all that beauty in your voice, Jack. Yeah, That's well, what I'm saying. Not not only I, but the two of you and and our listeners slash potential viewers should be happy that we're not on a video conference. <laughs> Tell me about it. Well, that is the truth. That is doomed. the truth. We'd be it's doomed. Been one, it's been one of those weeks. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, so you're back home in Sarasota, obviously. And, back uh, home in Sarasota. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and it's and, like 112 degrees, right? No, it's actually yesterday was... Oh, it's 112% humidity. That's No, no, no. It was, I've got a, a hygrometer now, so I can, I can do this with real numbers You and can't stuff. say that kind of thing on a, on a I know, podcast. I know, I know. But... Uh, yesterday, I don't think it got above 80, 82%. Humidity. Uh, no. Degrees. Temperature. Okay. All right. Temperature. This morning, this morning, it was cooler outside than it was inside. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. you know, it is, it is what it is. Yeah. But uh, we're starting to see, you know, uh, seasonal changes here, too. Yeah. Well, we definitely are up here. It's, it's definitely cooling down. It's beautiful up here this time of year, but it's not hot. It's not like it was, you know, a month ago. Anyways. Right. Hey, that other voice out there is my other good friend, Dave Higdon, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you today? Doing Marvy. Yeah. Just Marvy. Uh, we had a little bout of fall late last week and into the weekend, and now we're back to what the locals would consider seasonal mm-hmm. uh, 70s, maybe get into 80 overnight lows that uh, remind you that uh, the leaves will all be turning and really pretty in another couple of weeks and then crunchy and a pain in the butt. 
I know. Uh, so uh, I, people who pay attention to, well, all, I'll just spit it out. All of the UCAP stalkers out there um, realize that uh, Jeb and I just returned from Wichita, uh, where we were visiting with Dave. Um, although the reason for our, that what prompted our visit was a very, very sad thing. Um, otherwise, if you can put it that way, um, it was a kind of pleasant visit. I mean, we it was really nice to see you, David, and uh, to get to spend some time with you and... Uh, uh, oh, it was, it was good to have you guys here. It was particularly yeah. good to have you guys here for the event and uh, that we held in uh, in, in my wife's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found out a, a few days later that the reason we ran out that we ran out of name tags at they bought one pack of fifty, mm-hmm. and we ran out in the thir- first thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. And the mob of people that continue to come through, uh, I haven't done a head count yet, makes me uh, suspect that the number is going to be up around 100 when yeah, all said yeah. and done. So it was, it was, you know, again, the, 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 the thing that prompted it is so, so sad, but it was, uh, you know, what a, what a very fine bunch of people, um, Annie's friends and your friends, and, uh, um, uh, you know, it, it's hard to put it in positive terms given the, the, what caused it. No, no, I, I think it was very positive. Uh, people came together uh, in her name and her honor, shared stories about her, mm-hmm. how much uh, she meant to them. Uh, it, I, I found it all very gratifying and not at all sad. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And then after that, uh, Jeb hung around for a couple of days. I got kind of stranded due to uh, the vagaries of, of frequent flyer uh, airline tickets and uh, and ended up there for about four day, three days beyond Jeb. And uh, But uh, we had some good times. Jeb, while you were there, what did we do while you were there, Jeb? I forget now. <laughs> uh, we slept a lot. We, <laughs> we, ate, we ate a lot. <laughs> we did uh, eat a lot, yeah. We did and, eat uh, a lot. Um, we, where did we go? Uh, well, we went over to that brew pub in downtown there. Yeah, um, yeah. We went to the yard. Um, and we went to the Oh, the yard is great. The yard yeah. is great. All right, it's so now this is a sort of aviation. This is a great hardware store, surplus tools place that uh, in... in uh, and surplus metals yeah, and right, plastics right. and... You could build a home built from scratch at that place. Yeah. Now, I wish we could have done this while you were still there, Jeb, because um, yeah. the, uh-huh. the next day we went and we saw you off for the day. Right. Um, and then later that afternoon, Dave said, oh, we're going to go and have, have, uh, we'll go, we'll go have dinner out at Stearman Field. And I just figured, okay, little, you know, little, uh, you know, hole in the wall, you know, snack bar at, at a little airport out in the middle of Kansas. All right. Well, we yeah, just, that would have been my first reaction. Yeah, we got out there. What a cool place, David. This is just great. Stearman Field, a.k.a. what, Benton Air Park? Is that what it's officially? Well, it was originally Benton Air Park, a residential airport with a 2,500-foot paved. And uh, the uh, the original operators, they died out. If you've ever seen the skydiving movie, The Gypsy Moths, mm-hmm. almost all of the jumping scenes and ground scenes were shot at Benton. Uh the families that owned it decided that they wanted to get out of the airport operating business. Uh, one couple wanted to retire. Uh, the other couple had a flight school. They sold it to some people who had plans and resources, and they invested some money into it. They got a state airport grant. Uh, they increased the runway length significantly. State airport grant. That's significant, by the state way. State airport grant, right, which is something that uh, – Kansas was wise about back mm-hmm. about two two or three governors, uh, 
bunch of corporate hangars, a couple of aircraft dealerships, a lot of residential hangars, mm-hmm. uh, more homes going up, uh, and a and and a just great restaurant a really terrific restaurant a restaurant that would 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 you know you'd be happy to go to in the middle of downtown it was a really nice restaurant really? and it was right there on the ramp i mean literally you know there was like the inside part of the restaurant and then there were these roll-up doors that because it was a beautiful day they had rolled up the doors and there was a, there was like a couple of rows of seating outside those doors before there was oh, a low fence, like a maybe a three foot high fence, and on the other side of that fence was the ramp. Right, huh. and all kinds of airplanes were coming and going. As Dave and I drove into the parking lot, the first thing we see, um, it, because the end of the runway and the run up area are right there, in you know, in by the road and, and in the corner of the road in the parking lot, in the run up area is a steerman. All right, huh, of course, get, getting ready to go. All right, and uh, so, I mean, and Dave's parking the car, and I couldn't jump out of the car fast enough to run out onto the grass to get a closer look as this steerman taxied out into position and uh, and then launched down the runway and took off and and he was operating around we saw him come back and come and go a couple different times and it might have been him might have been somebody else ended up parking on the ramp um while we were having our uh, our dinner and uh, um a bunch of other airplanes came and went there were some what what else david we had oh uh, there were two really early 182s set yeah. up as jump airplanes that they were putting out that's uh, right there was divers. parachute operations going on yeah uh that was new to me mm-hmm. uh i hadn't seen that before uh uh we had some transients uh really pretty i think it was a class air two special mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that uh, that was on the ramp. Uh, yep, there was a really uh, pretty uh, old Cessna 170. There was uh, a uh, push me pull you, a, a Skymaster, pressurized Skymaster. Uh, yeah, that too, parked down at the uh, south end of the ramp. A uh, lot of traffic, a lot of people, a band setting up on the deck outside. Yeah, and uh, they even had uh, a little. So, you know, so y- yeah, y- y- you save this for when I'm not there. Is that, is, do, I, do I have this right? I don't know. I, you know, you have to ask Dave about that. I, I was just along for the ride, and a great ride it was. I'll tell you. So uh, I'm telling you, anybody, if you're in the air, if you're in the Wichita area and you got some time, and it's not that far, we had to stop and do some errands on the way out. But Dave, what it's like if you drove straight from downtown Wichita to Stearman Field is what 35 minutes, maybe tops. Yeah, it's not far. Um, um, you know, if I take the fast way. I can be there in 25 minutes uh, because I was doing that a lot a few years ago because I was getting my instrument training there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And, the, and, and uh, the one one of the things that hasn't changed in the years that the airport has is the route and the time it takes to get from where I live out to, to Benton. I got it down to 25 minutes and knocking the forehead without getting pulled over. Yeah. So, so that was a great place. Dave, we can go. You can take me back there anytime. I almost asked you to go back again. I was there for like three more dinners um, before I had to take off, and uh, I, we could have gone back. I would have been totally happy. Although we found a whole bunch of other interesting uh, dinner uh, adventures, so uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. David, thank you so much for uh, for entertaining me while I got. Well, got, uh, it, it was fun having you hanging around and talking airplanes. And Jeb, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Watched you make your turn southeast when you took off. Yeah, apparently oh, you flew right over his house or something like that. Really? Well, you were about a, you were about a half a mile south of me. You got up to the edge of the little river and came pretty much right over where the two rivers join, as you were on climb out uh, from the east runway. 
Okay. How how did I sound? Sounded like a bonanza. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So yeah. that's what made me look up because bonanzas after a, once you get into the sixties, they have a mm-hmm. very distinctive exhaust note. Yeah. And it's irrelevant what kind of prop they've got. Two blade, three blade, whatever. Uh, very distinctive, and there have been many a times talking to a neighbor that an airplane would go over, and they go, "Can I bet you know what that airplane is?" And I'll say, "Oh, it's a Bonanza," and they'll say, "You didn't even look at it." <laughs> That's right. Okay, I'll look at it. Yep, it's still a Bonanza. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that so, every now and then just to confirm, but uh, they're pretty distinct. Yeah. So well, it, was, if you hang it made around, me look at the. Yeah. It made me look at the clock on my uh, cell phone. Yeah. Note the time, and then when I got back in the house later, I looked you up on FlightAware, and sure enough, the departure time they cited was within two minutes of what I noted on my uh, yeah. on my cell phone clock. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, I don't see that many Bonanzas depart mid-continent that have tip tanks. Mm-hmm. So, nice visit. Nice visit. Yes, it was. Moving on. Y'all come back now, you hear? Yeah, we're going to. Well, I'd, I, it's, yeah, you know. Lots of reasons to come back. Y'all come to Florida. <laughs> That's lots of reasons to go there, too. Hey, uh, in the forums, so not to turn this into a Macintosh or an Apple podcast, gonna, but, oh, uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, big, that won't happen. Big news in the, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Apple world uh, uh, this past week was the announcement of, among other things, um, a new product from Apple called the Apple Watch, which is it's, it's kind of hard to summarize quickly what it is, but think of, a, think of a, 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 a small iPod on a wristband, all right, but an iPod that's been specialized to have watch qualities and capabilities. It's the Apple Watch, um, and uh, it's not scheduled to come out until after the first of the year, and it's going to be fairly pricey, um, but uh, it's got a lot of people excited, um, uh, or at least interested. And one of those people is listener Sven in the forums, who uh, writes, uh, the headline is Apple Watch Flight Applications. Uh, he writes, we have a lot of very valuable applications for our phones and, and pads. My question for the U3 is, what applications do you foresee being of benefit on something like the Apple Watch. He writes, I don't wear a watch and would need a very compelling reason to wear a $350 wristband, um, but someone must be thinking about useful pilot apps, and I'd love to hear your opinions um, about the watch, or about watch apps. Um, so, without getting too deeply into the Apple Watch, I mean, you, you know, so uh, this sort of a display or device on your wrist, what can you, what do you think you might, how it might be useful in the cockpit? Spin, I'm with you, man. I uh, I don't wear a watch, uh, and honestly, in thinking about my use of electronic flight bag uh, and how iPads and increasingly Android uh, programs are available for aviation use, the only half-fast, compelling reason I could think of for that would be as a when all else fails back up because what else are you going to do with a screen that small? Mm-hmm. But that's just me. Jeff? Well, what, what sensors does this come with? Uh, well, I don't know. I haven't really done the, the, the research, and I'm not sure how much they've even revealed. But I, you know, I mean, I think it probably comes with all the standard, ex, you know, accelerometer well, and, and attitude, and, and maybe even compass. Does and, it does it have anything more than Wi-Fi on it? I I don't know the answer to that. I don't. 
think so. Jack, well, Jack, hey, Jack, Jack. Jack. I'm, I'm concentrating on another of the products that they announced. I, 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 I understand. I yeah, understand. Okay. Well, well, I can think of two things right off the top of my head, uh-huh. but their success on the on the iWatch, and I don't know what else to call it, um, depend on the sensors it built into the device. Mm-hmm. One of those things is. Um, um, blood oxygenation, right? Um, yeah, to to de- help determine, you know, is, if a pilot at altitude is hypoxic, uh, getting the blood uh, gas is it, w- w- they kind of sort of know how to do that these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got to do that on the finger, right? Well, that's that. part of the, that's part of the equation. They they don't need much um, to to be able to get it. They just need to be able to figure out the color of the blood, yeah. and that that can be done maybe with a lot finer tolerances than it was, you know, say ten or fifteen years ago when I first got a pulse oximeter. Yeah, those are but, the kinds of apps that I'm thinking. Yeah. Sorry, Jeb, go ahead. Now, there's that's one example, one idea. Another example might be um, if it's got GPS, uh, and if it's got some kind of transmitter, maybe cell or some other kind of of uh, uh, um, mechanism or, or standard, you know, it can maybe tr- provide a tracking service. Mm-hmm. You mean like uh, an emergency locator kind of thing? Yeah, but a phone could do that or a tablet could do that now, too. So, the, the, you know, the app to do that isn't all that significant except for the, uh, the communications uh, uh, method. Yeah. The, uh, you know, my thoughts are similar to yours, Jeb, um, I, although I'm not convinced that the off-the-shelf Apple Watch will be able to do um, oxygen, you know, yeah. O2, O2 levels. Right. Um, there are some sort of physiology sensors on the back side of the watch. Uh, they talked about one of the, at least one of the things it could sense is uh, is heart is pulse. Right. Um, and uh, and when you combine that with motion and I don't know whatever else, they're getting really good these days. It, it, not just watches, but like phones. They're they're using the accelerometers to do things like trace track. You know, um, um, footsteps and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And I can imagine someone making some software. For example, I can imagine someone making some software that would run on the iWatch that would alert you if you were falling asleep. For example. All right. Um, I'm pretty sure the Apple Watch has something along the lines of vibrate built into it, which means that you could use it in concert with your like your foreflight or whatever on your pad. And and it could be used to alert you when you're coming up to, okay. you know, waypoints or whatnot. All right. Okay. Let's bring it down to non-oxygen system altitudes okay. for a second. Yeah. It doesn't do squat without a connection to your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, seriously, the majority of everything that it does, I'm looking at its site. I'm looking at the website. All depends on its Bluetooth or Wi-Fi connection to your iPhone. Well. That's now. I think that as time goes on, it will attach to iPads too. But oh well, okay, that's hugely different. Not uh, <laughs> well, no, 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 David. All right, I, I, yeah, I hear you kind of, David. But you know, the fact of the matter is, everybody's using ForeFlight, and ForeFlight's only on iPads. Okay, fine. Let me ask you: You got the iPad in your cockpit, and you got the i. 
phone on your wrist, which one are you really going to use for navigation? You're not going to use one or the other. You're going to use them in concert, all right? They become kind of a Borg-like collective thing that, that work, you know, the sum is greater than the parts, I think. That's what I envision. Uh, yeah, I'm, it, to me, most of what I'm seeing here is a repeater system. Okay, it takes what your iPhone is doing for you. You want to listen to music? It'll let you listen to music. You can plug it into your wrist, but the music's coming from your iPhone. You want to track where you're going and what you're doing? It uses a GPS and Wi-Fi in your iPhone to track how far you've moved. I'm just reading this from their site, dude. I'm not criticizing the decision. I'm just saying that it's basically a repeater uh, no, that I takes... Those examples what? are repeater examples. I think that there's a lot more capability, and I think as people like the ForeFlight people or anybody who's creating iOS software are going to come up with some interesting ideas, I think that, I think that there, are, there are some <laughs> things that this will do. That's what I think. I'm sorry. Well, all, all of that is well and good. Wrap it up, you guys. Yeah, right. Will you... two, two, two quick things. Yeah. Um, I don't wear a watch. If I do, it's, it's not going to be uh, 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 going to be a traditional watch. Right. It's going to be jewelry. Um, secondly, um, I'm probably in, in the foreseeable future as, as, as good as, and as much of an industry standard as four flight is, I'm not going to go buy a tablet or, or an iPhone, uh, an iPod, an iPad or an iPhone just to run four flight. Yeah. Okay. Ding. All right. I may down the road, but right now I'm trying to find the right application to works on Android. And I'm, I like the hardware. I like the form factor. Um, there's a lot of things about that tablet size I really like. Um, I just haven't been impressed with the, with the iPad mini. If the iPad mini got tweaked a little bit, Maybe we could talk, but uh, <laughs> and Jack, you the, may the, be the, right. The, the the other the other thing, though, Jack yeah. is um, like the iPad before it. Mm -hmm. The iWatch may set off a completely new market. Yeah, I, and I think there there could be many other devices, and they're going to get smaller and cheaper too. That get smaller and cheaper and more functional and 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 uh, more useful, perhaps. Um, the, the somebody always has to be the first, and, yeah. and Apple has a good. Actually, good they're, not the they're not even the first. They're not even the first. There were other well, watch sure, products sure. that came from the Android world for working with some the of those. First to make it to bring it mainstream. Yeah, this is the first one to have the Apple bite taken out of it. <laughs> okay, let's wrap this up by let David <laughs> explaining why I was right. Uh, well, you may be right about new and interesting things developing for this watch, but I question the utility because it's not going to have the range. There's this low-range Wi-Fi and Bluetooth that's just meant to connect to things in your pocket mm -hmm. as opposed to the cell tower down the block. Uh, that's the way this is built. Uh, screen size, battery power, other limitations, I see it strictly as an accessory to work with your iPhone and have been probably in the future your iPad, uh, with the exception of the watch function, which seems to be the one thing that it's capable of doing wholly standalone. And at that point, I, I slide in right in line with Jeb. 
I'm, I don't wear a watch. I have. Sometimes I think about getting one again. This wouldn't be my tenth choice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all Jane, right, that's... you ignorant slut. Yeah, all right. All right, well, Sven, there you go. Sorry, I don't know how that worked out for you, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm awful sorry Jeb and Dave couldn't have been more right about this. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, we talked uh, last, I think it was last episode. It's been about three weeks since we recorded, um, but last episode, I'm pretty sure we talked about the... Uh, FAA's uh, uh, interpretation of their rules saying that you can't build airplanes in a hangar. And uh, that building an airplane, unless it's final assembly, is yeah. not an aeronautical use of a hangar. Of course, makes sense to me. But it doesn't make sense to, among other people, the commemorative Air Force, um, who are apparently challenging um, the FAA's ruling. Uh, the uh, this is from also they're from not Ab- alone. They're also, not alone. Uh, I tried to imply that. Um, for also from Avweb, um, headlined uh, uh, commemorative horse fights hangar rule. Uh, the commemorative, commemorative Air Force, uh, which of course is the uh, big organization based down in Texas that has a huge fleet of uh, warbirds, mostly are mostly World War II, I believe, right? But uh, uh, predominantly, war, yeah, war, war, lots of warbirds. A great, great collection. A great organization. The Commemorative Air Force is asking the FAA to extend the September fifth. Con- oh, this story is old. This is from August thirty first. Uh, yeah, sorry, they've already extended it into October. They have extended it. So uh, um, the, the deadline, uh, let's see now, why are they asking? What's their rationale here? The CAF says its various museums and shops are all in violation of the new rules and is asking the FAA to extend the comment period so the agency can, quote, delve deeper into the unintended consequences, end quote, of the existing document. So, uh, Doing so some that, research earlier today. Yeah. The uh, nose count on the comments about this clarification, as the FAA likes to call it, uh, we're up above 2,000. Keep it going, folks. That's for Keep it going. What's the new deadline? Uh, Crap, sorry, I just closed that. Uh, It's in October, and I didn't catch exactly when it was. Uh, October 6th. October 6th. Well, this might be on the streets by then. All right, smartass. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing before we take a break here. Um, also in the last episode, we talked about... I was what, hoping to slide that Yeah, again. no. I, they, they, they all stab me in the heart, Jeb. You make these kinds of comments. Oh. Um, another thing we talked about in the last episode was uh, what at the time was a, a fair, still somewhat mysterious, but at the time was quite a mysterious um, F-15 crash in uh, in West West Virginia, um, at, where at the time the uh, pilot was not accounted for. Um, it wasn't certain whether the pilot had ejected it or not or what was going on. And since then, it has been discovered and announced that the, the pilot did not survive. Um, apparently, the pilot did not even eject uh, from the aircraft. And, uh, and they have announced the pilot's name. Let me just say this gentleman's name here. Uh, it is... Uh, yeah, so what the heck? Hang on a second here. Or we could come back to it. I know, no, you can't hear this. I hate it when a website makes uncommanded sounds here. Um, you, you don't hear the music, right? Nope. All right. So, anyways, I'm going to try and ignore it here and say that uh, um, the Lieutenant Colonel Morris Moose Fontenot or Fontenot Jr., uh, who was serving with the 104th Fighter Wing, um, and uh, it's 
It, That's a shame. You know, a shame. Very, very he was sad. a decorated yeah. combat vet. Yeah, very, very sad. Apparently, uh, uh, quite the uh, the airman, and uh, and uh, um, but. Uh, and it's not clear, you know, and as Jeb suggested last time, it's not clear whether we will ever find out what really happened here. But uh, it's all pretty mysterious. There were reports of him talking to ATC and reporting an emergency at 30,000 feet. And and then, you know, who the heck knows? But uh, sadly, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the lieutenant colonel did not survive and uh, did not eject even. So yeah. those are really hard to survive if you don't get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, well, we won't go into details, but uh, we're very, very sad about that. That's too bad. Hey, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Dad, here comes Lassie. I wonder where she's been. Hey, girl, what's wrong? Timmy, what's Lassie saying? Dad, she's saying that members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals and that their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. That a girl, Lassie. Timmy, let's get some rope. They need our help. No, Dad. She says that anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. So you should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane, Dad. That a girl, Lassie. Hi, this is Jack. We've said it before, and it bears repeating, that maybe the most pleasant surprise of doing this podcast all these years has been meeting our listeners at fly-ins and just wandering around at airports. You talking with us and sharing your aviation experiences has helped us broaden our knowledge and enjoyment of flying. Thank you. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that we also appreciate the financial support we get from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. So thanks for listening, and please make sure you track us down and say hi at the next fly-in. Look at this airplane. This is really strange. So this is a Twitter. This is a tweet, and it's, yes, par- it's yes. in, I don't know, Russian or something like that. It's, or it's, in, it's in Cyrillic. Cyrillic, yeah. some sort of naughty, yeah. non, non-Latin, I don't know what the right word is, but it's not in the kind of alphabet that we normally read. Um, it appears to be Russian, um, and it's, uh, it's, but it's, it's something about an airplane, all right, that is a really cool-looking airplane. That's what caught my attention, all right? It seems to be a big amphib. It looks to be on the scale of a 737 or even a C-17-sized aircraft, all right, that's an amphib, because the picture we see of it is is that it's kind of skimming along the water, probably at speed, because it's up on the plane. And uh, um, and it's got two big, what I would presume are like fan jet engines that are above the wing uh, to the left and right of the fuselage. And... Uh, it's just, oh, Russians have been big on above-the-wing engine mounts, particularly for amphibs, for decades. Uh, these look like high-bypass ratio turbofans. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder if Google Translate has even a prayer. Yeah, I, 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 cl- I clicked on it uh, and got it to translate. It's a, a what does B, it say? It's a BE-200. What's a BE-200? Um, that will have to be another Google. Yeah, here we go. Thing. I did a, 
a Beriev, Beriev BE-200. Uh, it's a, a multi-purpose amphibious aircraft. Design, this is according to uh, probably Wikipedia. Um, uh, uh, designed by the Beriev Aircraft Company and manufactured by Irkut. Um, and uh, it's 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 and, oh apparently it's a fire bomber. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's see now. We'll go to now. I do hear something playing in the background. That's on your machine because we don't hear it. Um, so yep, you're uh, right. Yeah, it's uh, now. There's a side view at Wikipedia, um, and uh, it's it's longer than I had pictured. Um, and what uh, are those little? Are either of you looking at the Wikipedia page? Yeah. Um, the picture there at the top right shows some sort of first one. The first one? Uh, yeah, the top one. The, the one that just so sh- shows the sort of front quarter view with it dropping, you know, water or whatever. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, inlets? What? what inlets? inlets sort of in near the wing roots on the, on the leading edge. Do you see them? They're sort of... I don't see inlets. Well, there's something there. Some sort of bump. On the fuselage? Sort of or No, on the, on the wing. That, that gray-colored thing? Yeah. It almost looks like an air intake, but uh, the, the the gray portion of the leading edge of the wing. Yeah, I'm sure that's a de-icing thing, or or a, no, no. It's, or a, but it's very it's it it's just the, in in one particular point. It's, right, it's just in front of the engine inlet. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. All right. Yeah. So, um, look at well, look at the original image. Okay. Um, you, you, on the it shows on the left. Oh. Wing. I don't see it as distinctly on this image, but uh, yeah. uh, it's not that distinct. But on the left, I'm sorry, on the right wing, to to the viewer's left, you do see that same shaded area, which again strikes me as some kind of de-icing. Well, it's got slats. Si- yeah, uh, mm-hmm. some kind of de-icing system applied to the wing that's directly in front of the uh, engine intakes. Yeah, because the last thing you want is a big chunk of ice coming off there and yeah, you don't want going through the fan. inlet fan. You don't want, but it's got slats, flaps, and 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 operating an airplane in Russia on water. <laughs> I mean, can you can you imagine getting ice? <laughs> yeah, I know, really. So it's a Ber- a Beriev a Beriev. Uh, 200, BE-200. Period. Um, uh, from Russia, manufactured by Irkut, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, first flight was back in 1998. Uh, it was introduced in 2003. Um, they built nine of them. I thought it was a cool airplane. I, I, just thought- I like the shot that juxtaposes the uh, Canadair CL2. I think that's a 415. Yeah, that's a 415. Where are you seeing that picture? The CL-415. Uh, Google is a picture page uh, from, well, I Googled Russian BE-200, and this was the page that I clicked on. It's all photographs. Yeah. But one of the shots has the the, uh, Bombardier turboprop water bomber, the CL-415, Going in one direction with the BE two hundred going the opposite uh, direction yeah, in the I background. See that. I see that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yes. unfortunately, there's no scale here because the four fifteen. I've been in the four fifteen. I've watched it do its work out at uh, Cheney Lake, west of here. Uh, is nowhere near the size of that jet. 
I'm not finding that particular picture, but I am looking at the uh, uh, the Google Images page for I, I searched on Barry of BE 200. Um, a lot of interesting pictures. Uh, according to these pictures, this airplane can really fly. Um, they, they've got they show it doing some really interesting things. Um, apparently, it will. Uh, I, I, just, I just sent y'all a link to a very nice picture. I'll, I'll take a look at that one. Apparently, it can taxi up a ramp out of the water. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Uh, there's one picture here that shows it doing a really steep pull-up immediately after dropping its water. And uh, that's kind of interesting. And, uh, well, it seems to do a fairly steep angle of attack scooping water, too. Yeah. Looking at Jeb's picture uh, here now. Let's see. Of course, you know, yeah, a, a, a fire bomber wouldn't yeah. be worth a dime <laughs> if it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't, oh, yeah, who was, if it wasn't maneuverable. Because you got to get in tight in some bad places, or else everything you drop dissipates before it gets to the ground. Right, right. Jeb, describe this picture to uh, that you sent us. Hang on a second. Let me let me send you another one real quick. Uh, this is a uh, an image. This is from Airplane Pictures. Airplanepictures dot net. It's uh, airplane hyphen pictures dot net. Um, Two of them, apparently by the same shooter of the same airplane, pretty much the same time. One is from uh, uh, <clears throat> fairly oblique angle um, to the pilot side of the airplane. The other one's actually from the opposite side of the airplane, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit longer distance. They both show basically the, the same nose-up uh, pitch attitude, which is, guys, help me out here, 15 degrees? Um, At uh, least. The step, the step least, of the yeah. Uh, yeah. The step of the fuselage is still on the water. There's a lot of it too, um, and uh, you just you can just hear the sucker whining out as it as it takes off. I can't tell from this image if this is a normal takeoff um, without picking up water or, or what this is. It kind of would seem to be given the back what's in the background, uh, unless that's just a really 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 long lens. And if it is, whoever this is has got really good glass. So that's all I have to say about this image. Yeah. Well, this is a shot you might want to take a look at, too, because I look at this and think, is that Farnborough? It oh, doesn't look like David, Paris. That? That's, Can't that's help you. Holy cannot, cow. Cannot, cannot help you. That's quite a URL, David. The, 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 the angle, oh, the yeah. roll, the pitch up, and the proximity to the ground. I'll make hidden parts of my anatomy pucker. Ooh, yeah. 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 So, anyways, <laughs> I'm going to have to trim some of this out because the listeners are all going, all right, so you liked it. Stop, okay. stop drooling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, it makes me wonder what it feels like on the flight deck. Yeah, well, that last one especially, that's uh, that's quite a dramatic pull-up and bank. Um, and uh, so, anyways... Beriev 200, cool, cool looking airplane, and uh, don't expect to see one on a ramp near you unless you're going someplace uh, in a different set of. Uh, yeah, well, that last one seems to be at, a, at an air show, so maybe you know, maybe if you go to Farnborough or something one day, you'll you'll get to see it. But uh, there you go, something like there that. There you go. Anyways, what's next here? What is next? So now we're going to get into the weeds here. I, I and I. <laughs> 
you know, I'm always reluctant. <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just lost half our listeners right no, there. No, 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 no. Now they're all going, what the heck is he talking about? Um, I, I'm, I'm always somewhat reluctant to talk about drones and UAVs on this podcast because I don't necessarily think that's what this podcast is. But uh, but it's not, and we, we really don't care unless it's about how they interface with the rest of us. I think we need to start caring is, I guess, why I've put these on the list. Let me start out by asking you a question. I, I read something recently that made a reference that made me ask, ask myself this question, and that is, are UAVs part of general aviation? So the def- definition. The definition I've always used of general aviation, and this is probably somewhat simplistic, but I've always said general aviation is everything except the scheduled airlines and the military. All right, and That's by that the definition, and by that definition, UAVs are or will be part of general aviation. All right, and so so maybe UAV. If this is the general aviation well, podcast, think, then maybe I, UAVs I, are. I think you're leaving out. Well, bear with me a second. I think okay. you're leaving out an important concept that. Um, technology is forcing us to modify. Okay. Oh. Okay. Heretofore, when we talk of aviation, and we talk about aircraft, and we talk about vehicles that actually fly through the air, we're, we've generally been talking about manned or, or peopled or piloted or crewed. Onboard aircraft. piloted, yes. Someone, some living human being sitting on the thing. Okay. Yeah. Technology has come about to the extent that that's no longer um, assumed. Okay. Um, so if we're going to talk about general aviation, then we might want to think about, in, 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 in the conventional sense, as you correctly define it, everything except the airlines and the military. Everything piloted except the airlines and the military. Okay. Well, that's an interesting uh, – no, that could be the correct extension. Of, of the definition. Here's what makes me want to talk about this and, and quite frankly concerns me um, and why I think this is all relevant to general aviation pilots and, and general aviation aviators, regardless of whether UAVs are part of GA. I was, and I, th- I think I shared this with one of you recently when we were together. Um, I, Two weeks ago, I was in San Francisco for a technology Jack, conference. Jack, that was such a magic night. I just simply don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else just completely has pushed it's it in the background. Um, I was at a, as a, at a technology conference called TechCrunch Disrupt, all right? And this conference is all about um, startups and uh, people who are trying to, you know, kind of set themselves up for their billion-dollar exit strategy. So there was a lot, of con- a lot of sessions going on about how to start your business and how to find funding and, you know, what technology is hot and social media and, and you know, hard, all this stuff, okay? And there was one panel discussion that kind of stood out. It caught my, my, my eye for, I think, what will be obvious reasons, but I think it was somewhat different than all the others, um, it was a it was a panel discussion called Game of Drones, all right, which is kind of a play on the you know kind of popular TV show. Um, but Game there's of, a TV show called Game of Drones. Yeah, right. So Game of Drones. Game of Drones was a panel discussion that um, had on the panel um, two two guys, three pe- three people, and a moderator. Two of the three were sort of data analyst people, which is a big deal. These is the whole big data and how to analyze data and whatnot. Um, and uh, and they were on the panel because they were talking about the fact that UAVs are going to become a source of, of a huge quantity of data, which will be very, very valuable to a lot of different people, all right? And the third panelist was someone from NASA 
who was there to talk about the story that we've heard about recently about how NASA is, is sort of researching the whole question of how do you, you know, do ATC for drones and how do you fit drones into the existing ATC and whatnot. The thing that really struck me about this panel and quite frankly kind of gave me chills was that these, these three guys, four guys counting the moderator, were talking about drones in the context of them being the next multi-billion dollar industry. All right, that people are setting themselves up to make lots and lots and lots of money from drones, from UAVs. And, and for a decade now, for a decade now, these guys aren't, aren't bringing up something that hadn't been on, on the way since the first Predator put a Hellfire missile down on a bad guy. Yeah. There's been a headlong rush to exploit the potential of everything from mosquito size to something capable of delivering nuclear weapons. The point I'm trying to get at here is I fear that if drones are a mul- the next or one an upcoming multi-billion dollar industry, and if they're coming for our airspace, then we're in big trouble, and we need to take this seriously. This is not just a novelty. This is not just a safety issue. Who this says a, they're coming for our airspace? I, what they if if they're going to do what they want to do to make these billions of dollars, there's going to be a lot of them flying, and they're going to conflict with our aircraft. And if they've got billions of dollars to spend or billions of dollars at risk, they're going to win, aren't they? Nope. Why not? I hope you're right, David. Why not? Uh, well, the first thing they're going to come up against is the billions and billions of dollars that's invested in something called the commercial airline industry. Stand by. Let, let, me, let me clarify. Yes, I don't think airlines are necessarily in all that much danger. I don't think commercial aviation in general is in all that much danger. I'm talking about personal aviation. I'm talking about people I, like... I don't see how you carve the airspace up in a way that says it's only dangerous to us, but not dangerous around a Class B or a Class C or a Class D, where something with paying passengers is going in. Yeah, but, but one of the ways you solve it is have less airplanes in the sky, and which ones are going to get pushed aside? Not the ones carrying people, baby. I think. Well, time out a second. I think. I think you, the two of you are talking past each other for a second. Um, That's probably true. Dave, Dave is correct. Um, around Bravos and Charlies and pre-saving Deltas, uh, you're, you're going to have a hard time, at least initially, getting unmanned, uh, uh, uncrewed uh, aerial vehicles into the airspace. Um, outside of Bravos and Charlies and perhaps Deltas. Um, it's a whole different ballgame. So let's 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 put that on the on okay. the table, and, and of course alphas for that matter also. Now, sure. all of that having been said, <clears throat> um, I think we kind of have to make a, a distinction between what I would call federal or military operated uh, vehicles and you know state, local government, and or commercial operated vehicles. Fed's going to do anything they want to do, anytime they want to do it, anywhere they want to do it. And if they, you know, mow down or fly through a Bonanza or or a Cirrus, gee, we're really awfully sorry about that. Uh, the commercial side, the 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 state and local government side, uh, I think is going to be a lot different. Um, and I think you're going to see, you know, a lot of of um, respect for um, Bravos and Charlies. 
deltas, who knows? That's the initial answer, okay? But what about every place else? Well, that's where I was headed. Um, Every place else is going to be a problem. Yeah. Okay? Because, um, now let me hasten to add two things. One, um, by the year 2020, uh, anything in interesting airspace is going to be ADSB equipped. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, everything else has a transponder, and everything without a transponder that's flying is usually going fairly low and slow, and on a good on a good weather day. Um, not so much the UAVs; they can be flying pretty much in any weather. Um, they are supposed to have some kind of sense and avoid system installed per statute, per what the FAA is supposedly working on. That's what they're doing some testing on, and yada, yada, yada. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I have ultimate confidence in any of this. <laughs> but down the road... Shock, shocking. I, I know, I know. You know, down the road, we're going to see drones and, and crewed general aviation aircraft talking to each other. Uh, what they will say is a whole other topic. The other whole other topic is what happens to aircraft without electrical systems. What happens to aircraft that cannot mount uh, ADSB, for example? Uh, and I'm talking about modern current production gliders, as well as uh, vintage, uh, um, got a prop at the start it, uh, types of aircraft that I think, really, Jack, you're really concerned about. And the quick answer is, I don't know. The other quick answer is. See and avoid slash sense and avoid has worked fairly well over the years. Um, yep. And, you know, I was telling you guys um, when I was in Wichita last week that I flew all the way from, to Wichita from Florida and didn't see another single airplane under power. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can say the same thing about the trip back. Yeah. I, it's, 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 it, is, it is a big sky. It's not so big around airports and around metropolitan areas, but it is a big sky. It is a big sky. Well, it, I, I just, it, I'm, it, I'm worried about I'm, I'm, it, this, 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 this panel that I watched scared the crap out of me because... That's their job. <laughs> is that They're it, trying you know, to sell this, you shit. This thing is growing. Something. This thing is growing like crazy. All right, It's going to have billions of dollars behind it, and if they want our airspace, we're going to get pushed aside, and we need to start preparing. We need to start kind of, you know... That preparation started decades ago. Well, we need, let me ask David Decades ago, the airlines wanted to push us all aside, and guess what? Yeah. And they did. Back. How? I'm Where? sorry. How did, how did that... How did, how did, I didn't get the memo. Bravo! I didn't get pushed aside. I can still go into Charlie's. any Bravo airport that I've got the how, equipment to how is How is that? We are hugely aside? restricted from flying in or near the Bravos. I'm not. How's I'm that? sorry. I'm not. I'm, you, you I, know, we're not. No, no we're not. I've flown through Bravo twice in, within the last 10 days. Dave? Within the last week. How was the hang gliding near you know a Bravo airport? How was the ultralight flying near a pick, Bravo pick airport? A, Jack, pick a Bravo airport, and I'll tell you why you don't want to try hang gliding near there. First off, Jack, we can fly anywhere we have the appropriate equipment for. 
and I flew the Comanche into Bravo airports more times than I've changed socks in the last six months. Uh, you didn't want to know that. With a lot uh, of restrictions, though. With a lot of restrictions. Way more restrictions than what we're flying. What kind, of, what kind of restrictions, Jack? They tell I dial you exactly. up. I, I, ask, I tell them I'm landing here. I get a squawk. I get in the queue. I land. It's the same as every other airport with a tower. When, when I flew out to Wichita last week, um, I departed uh, VFR. Uh, I aimed myself and had a flight plan myself and had put, punched into all of my devices a route that took me outside of the Bravo, just slightly to the east over Lakeland. Why would you go and outside it, the Bravo? Hear me out. Okay. And then boogity, boogity, boogity off to my first little fix, which happened to be a fuel stop. Um, I called up Tampa Approach. Um, hey, I'm here. I'm going here. I'm going there. And I'm landing such and such. And um, the controller comes back and says, did you want to go over Lakeland? And I'm like, no. Well, okay. Uh, you're clear to the Bravo, clear direct destination. Without my asking for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I hope you guys are right. I hope you're right. But I well, think first, they're coming. First off, First They're off, coming for our I, airspace and get that ready. part. That part's not in question. Yeah, they need our airspace because it's all one airspace. What we're talking about here is the conditions under which they're going to be allowed in, because the rest of us have, have to meet. The rest of us have to meet certain conditions to access certain airspace. There's no reason in hell why they should have a, a lower standard. For that access than us, and with the fact that there's not a human being directly on board with eyeball capability on what's around him, they need to meet a higher standard, which was what Jeb was talking about: sense and avoid, and autonomous sense and avoid. Right. And I think and that's that the what variable we've been arguing about for years. And I think the variable you're not taking into consideration is they are going to have an incredible amount of money behind them. They are going to be. Jack, you know Jack. how many billions of passengers flew last year? And that's what I'm not talking about versus the airlines. I'm talking about versus you and me in our little it's personal. It's going to be versus the airlines too, Jack. I know, they but the, the airlines are going to do fine. They it's don't us get to say, gonna... "Oh, we don't want to compete with them." Yeah. Okay. All right. We've touched on this topic before, and, and I remember distinctly. In a previous episode, yeah, um, when this when this ball first got got some steam headed downhill, talking about what we're talking about. Let me let me rephrase all this. When we were discussing, and I think the exact phrase I used was something to the effect that we're talking about putting unmanned robots in the same airspace with commercial airliners and with uh, privately operated uh, aircraft. Um, and that's still the case, okay? That's still what a lot of people want to try to do. Um, personally, I don't think it's going to happen that way. I think it's going to happen with a phase-in of a lot of different things. And in the near term, um, GA, um, especially, let's say, non-electrical system GA, and unmanned, uh, uncrewed vehicles, um, can you know kind of sort of coexist? Um, I don't think that's the case for controlled airspace. I don't think that's the case 
uh, for Bravos and Charlies and or, or Alphas. And I don't think that's going to be the case for that airspace for a long time to come. Okay. Well, I hope you're right. Um, and now, and, and, 50 well, years from now, okay. all bets are off. Um, and point two is I won't be around to discuss it. Yeah, okay, all right. We need well, to move and, on. David, wrap if, this up, please. If, if money alone was what made the, the decision, what, on, 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 what's the point on which the decision hinged? Then general the aviation only, today wouldn't exist because the airlines did their damnedest to lock us out of huge expanses of airspace back in the 50s and 60s. And they lost. And the same thing will happen to any of the drone people who think that suddenly we have to be second-class citizens because they're the new kids on the block. Okay. They've got to meet the same rules as the rest of us or they don't get to play in our block. And, and I, I think actually that if you if you listen to the rhetoric of the drone types and and maybe you know I'm just listening with you know good vibes intended or something but if you listen to the rhetoric from the drone uh, proponents um they're talking about and aiming for and gearing up for and expecting to be flying these aircraft alongside or in the same airspace with commercial airliners. And I don't know where they're getting all that. Um, maybe they're being very optimistic. Maybe they're projecting out to that 50-year uh, um, milestone in the future. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen immediately. I don't think it's going to happen um, all that soon. Okay. Let's put it that way. Right. I think there's a lot of stuff that has to be ironed out first. And ADSB is only a portion of it. Um, you can still fly gliders. You can still fly um, um, aircraft without electrical systems. You'll still be able to do that. You don't want to do that in bad weather in the first place. Uh, and a lot of these drones are going to be equipped um, for some kind of positive control from the start. Um, the technology's evolved a lot um, since we first started talking about this. And it's going to evolve a lot more. And that's also true for for the aircraft that uh, the, our listeners fly. Okay. Go ahead, Dave. To hear. Say again, David? The, uh, privacy and... David, you're breaking up. You still there? David? Lost you, David. Well, Are we back? Just, there he is, David. Hi, you there? I am now. Okay. You guys right. went away. Yeah, I know. Huh? So that was weird. I forget where we were when we lost you, David. What were you saying? If, please, please wrap this up. I know I brought this up, but we need to move on. Uh, I think uh, we've all made our point. As you know, Fukin drones. Yeah, I know exactly. There's the there's the title for the episode right there. Hey, listen, we're gonna move on. Well, I, I get the feeling we're gonna talk about this again in the future. But for now, shout outs. So you know, not to not to not change the subject, but I just I found this one this afternoon. This is just so awesome. All right, I, I discovered this afternoon that Google. This is just mind-boggling. Google has a division, a business division, called Skybox, all right? And Skybox runs a fleet of Skystats, all right, that take pictures. It's all part of Google Maps and all that kind of stuff that they do, all right? All right? Google, who 
I don't know if I've ever argued on this podcast, but I've argued with people in general. Is that I believe Google is a is is a living life form. I believe it's come to, <laughs> I believe that it's come to yeah, life, not I unlike. Think, I, yeah, I think it has. Okay, um, and, and now you know aware. it's buying yeah. robot companies and it's buying artificial intelligence companies and it has a fleet of sky stat sky sats. All right, that that right now take pictures. All right, I mean it's just like it's just like I don't know, creepy. Uh, I don't know just, what the cracks going on but you're back again yeah oh did we lose you again david yep oh, i got sorry. the i got the funny window that said there's a problem with the call please oh, okay. stand by did you hear us talking about sky google and their skybox company uh yeah okay well so anyways it's just that's all i don't think there's anything to talk about i just wanted to call attention to the fact that hey folks google has a division called skybox and they operate a fleet of sky sats so anyways but don't worry about the drones. We'll overcome them. It's all right. Don't worry. It's all right. What else? You guys any shout-outs? Well, you know, if nothing else, um, you know, mechanics can get jobs working on these damn things. <laughs> well, they're in orbit. But okay. Oh, okay. I was, I was thinking about drones. Oh, drones. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. Other shout-outs. What do you got? Um, <sighs> yeah, I got, I got two quick ones. Just... Uh, good service I've received lately. First one I mentioned a moment ago, uh, Tampa Tracon. Mm-hmm. Um, some really good service from them uh, over some some flying in, in good, bad, and and uh, um, uh, in different weather. Um, as I you know, as I mentioned, you know, pop, yeah, come come poke through my class B. I don't care, you know, uh, whatever works for you, we'll, we'll work it out. And that's pretty much the way it is around here. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with that. Secondly is Yingling Aviation at Wichita Mid-Continent mm-hmm. Airport. Uh, really great service um, from the rental car to refilling the oxygen to putting fuel in the airplane. Uh, very happy, very pleased. Uh, I'm, I'm always reminded why I use them, and uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. the FBO named after a beer. No, no it's uh, not spelled, true. It's spelled, not true. spelled differently. It's, it's not, not the same company. No, I know. Um, but but even if it was, so what? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, that's nice. Yeah, that's good. Good to yeah. hear it. Yeah. David, any shout outs? Oh, we lost David again. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid of that. All right, hang on here. David. All right, you'll get David back now. Um, so Dave is now on his cell phone because for some reason his internet is going kaflooey there in, in Wichita. Um, it's because we were talking about drones. Maybe that's what it was. NSA cut him off. Yeah, say again, David? It's happy hour at the Foo Bar. That's what it is, yeah. So anyways, well, before we were so rudely interrupted, David, I was asking you if you have any uh, shout-outs. Yeah, I've got a real quick one uh, to congratulate the... Uh, uh, well, where did I put it? Oh, I closed that window trying to get the call back. That Hang could back. be bad. Let's see if let's see if you can get that page back. Here we go. Come on, come on! I know you can do it. I was uh, I was going to shout out congratulations to the Aerospace Industry Association and uh, the NAAA National Academy of. Uh, uh, Rocket and model aeronautics. Uh, the uh, National Aeronautics Association just named their partnership the winner of this year's Brewer Trophy for their educational efforts uh, for uh, 
seventh through twelfth graders studying science, technology, uh, math. Uh, the two organizations have been partnered on this since uh, 2003, and uh, so last year would have been their tenth year. And they've had about 60,000 plus uh, junior high and high school uh, age uh, young adults go through the program. Uh, I think it's well deserved on their part. So congratulations. Very nice. Very cool. Very cool. Well, anyways, I think maybe uh, under uh, all things considered, we should stick a fork in this one. Jeb, you didn't have anything else you wanted to add, did you? Nope. I okay. Fork right here. Yeah. Well, then I'll say uh, uh, thanks to both of you. Uh, Jeb uh, Burnside. Jeb is a, a freelance writer, aviation writer, and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. You been working on anything fun, Jeb? Not a thing. Before I went out there, um, I, I, let me take that back. Before I went out there, I uh, did finish up the uh, October issue of Aviation Safety. Um, since I got back, I've been working on a, on a new project, something um, uh, that's taking a lot more time and focus and, and dedication than I thought it was going to. So we'll see how it comes out. Uh, hopefully it'll, it'll be uh, uh, what's necessary. Yeah. Uh, and um, now I'm going to kind of take it easy and do other stuff, that's, stuff that's, that's uh, all about me for a change. That's always fun, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so where can people find you on the Internet when you are doing uh, things that are useful? What, when I am doing things that are useful, I'm at uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com. Uh, sometimes also on aea.net. When I'm doing stuff that is not useful, um, you'll have to you'll have to figure that stuff you'll out. Have on to your figure own. that out. Uh, you're on the Twitter as uh, Burnside J. Yes. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Well, uh, starting to work on getting ready for NBAA next month, and uh, had a piece of this month's uh, avionics news about managing. Uh, software updates for your uh, cockpit appliances, whether it's uh, your GPS or the moving map display or your baby ground procs warning system. Uh, all these different databases uh, have their own update cycles, and you get enough of them in play, and it can get a little bit confusing between 28, 56-day updates and annual updates and uh, some of the systems even allow you to update on a daily basis if the uh, data is there. So, uh, and working on new stuff going to uh, China for a publication uh, in Mandarin. So that's kind of an interesting experience. Yeah, right really. Now. That sounds cool. Isn't has one of the publications that you write for on a regular basis recently changed its name? World Aircraft Sales is now Avbuyer Magazine. Avbuyer Magazine. And uh, that's the one that's available uh, in FBOs everywhere, right? It's at all the FBOs, and it just kind of made sense because their website and their email address were all at avbuyer.com. Mm-hmm. So they made the uh, magazine masthead match the website. I see. Sounds what, good. A con- what a concept. What a concept. I know, right. So, David, in general, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, well, at uh, com for the Avbuyer Magazine stuff, uh, uh, avionics news at AEA.net, uh, and when I get back into the routine again, hopefully some stuff in aviation safety. Yeah. And mm-hmm. on the Twitter, you are Real Higdon. 
damn right I'm real. <laughs> and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Um, I just got back from my uh, trip to San Francisco where I had a good old time. Sadly, I didn't have a chance to visit many friends out there, but I'm hoping to uh, make a trip back there uh, uh, later in the fall or early in the winter or something like that. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, uh, just kind of you know, plugging away on a, on a bunch of uh, aviation-related projects, uh, things I'll be able to talk more about, hopefully. I, I, I don't want to talk. I keep talking about them. They're not finished. So I'm going to wait until they're finished, and we'll talk more about them then. Um, but uh, in general, you can uh, follow me at twitter.com uh, slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, you can learn more than you really ever really want to know about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earl, to Jim Goldman, and to the many, many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips and helped us out in so many different ways over the years. And don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. Also see who's doing what in the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, was there something you wanted to say? Best way to live to be old farts like Jeff Jack and me is to spin time flying because we all know time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye bye. That's right. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. See you next time. This episode of Uncontrolled Airspace is made possible by the support of our generous listeners. For over seven years, we've been thrilled to enjoy the financial support and useful feedback of our awesome listeners. For information on how you can join the conversation in our forums, put something in the UCAP tip jar, or even become an underwriter of a UCAP episode, visit the UCAP homepage at uncontrolledairspace.com.